Hey, hey, it is May, and that means that I am celebrating mom's big time over here at Mama Simpatico. Because Mother's Day is this month, I want to offer free mom life check-ins to both village members and non-village members. So if you could use a little live virtual support, connection, laughter, a place to shed a tear, or just to spend an hour with moms who get it, come hang out with me and fellow mamas. Head on over to mamasimpatico.com backslash momlifechecken, all one word, no hyphens, to sign up. I hope to see you there. Welcome to Mom School, where I help busy and stressed moms like you create a more joyful, balanced, and fulfilling mom life journey. My name is Lacey Newton, and as a mom of two and creator of Mama Simpatico, I understand the challenges of motherhood all too well. And through my own journey of discovery, I've learned the power of mindfulness in helping me move from surviving to thriving. I want to help you intentionally create a mom life that feels good and is aligned with who you are and who you are becoming. So join me on this journey to raise the tide of happiness and mom life for all of us mamas. Now, let's dive into today's episode. When my oldest daughter was about to turn three, I wanted to make her birthday extra special. I was feeling incredible mom guilt around the attention I needed to give her baby sister, so I thought she would feel extra loved and know how important she was to me if I made her birthday really magical. So I convinced my husband to wake up extra early with me on the day of her birthday and put together this elaborate scavenger hunt type thing with small gifts on a golden ribbon and burst into her room with arms full of balloons and yell happy birthday to to wake her up. This was in addition to the many gifts I had wrapped and the homemade cake and the decorations. And yep, I did that. I learned quite a bit about parenting that day. It is not a good idea to burst into your three-year-old's room with bunches of balloons and yell happy birthday while she's still sleeping. So... Um, It's also not a good idea to set up the expectation of a ribbon scavenger hunt with lots of little gifts for birthdays because guess what? You have to do it next year and for all of your children, especially when the birthdays are right near Christmas. So anyway, my mom guilt was triggering me to act kind of nutty. So let's talk about that this episode. This is the second episode in a series of four dedicated to sharing how to use mindfulness as a remedy for those common emotional struggles in mom life, like mom guilt and anxiety, depression, burnout, loneliness, anger, self-doubt, and so many more. In the last episode, you first heard the story of the scientist and the flight, and we took a close look at the beginning of it. The pearl or practice in real life from last episode was taking a snapshot of your inner and outer world by observing it like a scientist. And today we will be doing a deep dive into the second part of the story, the part of the story where the scientist is sitting between the two other women during the flight. By the end of this episode, you will know how to become friends with your struggles and why you might even want to do that. (laughs) Doesn't sound fun on the surface, but I promise it's worth it. Okay, so let's review the story. Here's the scientist in the flight. A scientist suddenly wakes up confused and startled, realizing she is in an airport terminal waiting to board a plane 
calm washes over her as she remembers she's on her journey. Her eyes scan the waiting area, noticing two young lovebirds cuddling and gazing into each other's eyes. She feels warmth in her heart, remembering how her experiences of young love felt too. Next to them is an elderly man with a well-worn white t-shirt that says, World's Best Grandpa. Across the walkway, she sees a woman in black, sitting perfectly still, staring off in the distance without looking at anything in particular. One tear slowly rolls down her left cheek, and the scientist is struck by how the woman doesn't wipe it away. A furious voice draws her attention. A red-faced woman with darting arms is arguing with whoever is on the other end of her phone. She only quiets to listen to the announcement that it's time to board the plane and rushes to the boarding line. The scientist quickly takes a photo of the scene on her phone before gathering up her belongings. Among the last to board the plane, the scientist makes her way to her assigned seat. As she walks past the full plane of passengers, she sees an empty middle seat up ahead on the left. In the seat by the window is the sad woman. The aisle seat is taken by the angry one. As she manages her way into her seat, she considers the hours ahead of her, seated in the middle of these two women. She decides the best she can do is offer her smile, her ear, her understanding. Maybe it's the close physical proximity and eminent end to their time together, but the women open up to her. Sitting with them as the hours pass, she develops a deep understanding for their struggles. They share, cry, laugh, and offer each other kindness like old friends. The plane eventually touches down on the runway and taxis to a stop. The pilot makes their final announcement. All right, folks, with your patience and a series of skillful maneuvers up here in the cockpit, we've safely landed where you intended to arrive. The women look at each other and wish each other well. As she nears the plane's door, the scientist hears the flight attendant saying goodbye to each and every passenger. I hope you choose to fly with us again the next time you need to change it up. May you live your biggest life. She feels his sincerity as he says it to her as she approaches the door, and she thanks him. The scientist takes her first few steps off the plane and notices the thought, I wonder what is going to happen next. Okay, so let's look more closely at the part of the story where the scientist finds her seat between the two women for the duration of the flight. So as she makes her way through the plane, the scientist realizes that her seat is in the middle seat. And not only is she in the middle, she is between the sad woman and the angry woman that she saw in the terminal waiting space. So how do you feel about flying in the middle seat? And how would you feel about being seated next to someone who looked incredibly sad and someone who looked incredibly angry? For me, I would definitely be disappointed and uncomfortable in the middle seat. Being seated between two people who are clearly going through something tough and experiencing heightened emotions would be a situation that would likely trigger my anxiety and a bit of hypervigilance. You might see yourself having a different reaction than me, but whatever emotions this situation would trigger in you, I'm guessing that they are more on the uncomfortable side of the emotional spectrum. Last week, I shared that the scientist is you. She's a metaphor for how you can have a moment of wakefulness and take the next action of observing, observing like a scientist. This week, you are still the scientist. And spoiler alert, you will be this whole month. And as the scientist takes her seat between the sad and angry women, we will talk about what you do when you observe big, uncomfortable emotional struggles in your inner world. So the scientist could have seen her seat from afar, as she did in the story, 
and decided that the situation was too uncomfortable, that she would prefer to get off the plane entirely than sit between these two women for the duration of the flight. But she didn't do that. She was on a journey and had somewhere she wanted to go, so she sat in the middle, despite the discomfort. She decided the best she can do is offer her smile, her ear, her understanding. During the flight, she developed a deep understanding for their struggles. They shared, cried, laughed, and offered each other kindness like old friends. Okay, so what do you think could have happened during the flight that turned these women from uncomfortable strangers into people who relate like old friends? Well, for one, the scientist decides to offer her smile. So she acknowledged the women, regardless of their charged emotional state. She offered her ear, so she reached out to them with the only purpose of listening and understanding. And what qualities of communication do you think the scientist would have used? What do you think her tone would have been? What kinds of words would she have used? How does she show her understanding to the women? I think that we all will have slightly different answers to these questions, but this is what comes up for me. We know she smiled, so her face must have looked friendly. Her tone was warm and gentle and probably confident. She would have asked open-ended questions, clarifying questions, and paraphrased what she was hearing. She would have nodded and looked into the women's eyes at times. There probably would have been silence at times, too. And I'm thinking that the scientist would also have had an open body language, and she would not have had earbuds in her ears or been focused on her phone. Do you think that the women would have connected so freely if the scientist had ignored them, invalidated their struggles, changed her seat or gotten off the plane? Blamed the women for their problems? Told them how to fix their problems? Felt pity for them and shared it? Or asked them to share but not share their emotions? It's intuitively clear that if the scientist had done any of those things, the women would not have connected. And as the scientist likely felt discomfort as she initially sat down at the beginning of the flight, by the end they were like old friends, so that discomfort shifted. It either lessened or it turned to comfort. So here are some gems that we can take away from this part of our story and apply to our lives. Number one, don't run off the plane. (laughs) Just sit down. When you take a snapshot of your inner world and notice big, uncomfortable emotions, it's very tempting to do any of these things like ignore them, invalidate them, change your life to avoid whatever triggered them, create a story around them, like a story about how this all is your fault and confirm a thinking habit where you aren't good enough or a story how this is all someone else's fault and confirm a thinking habit where you are the victim to numb them with food or alcohol or work or shopping or gossiping or or any of the above. So when I say don't run, (laughs) just sit. I mean, feel the feeling. Feel this uncomfortable feeling. Give it space to be in your life for a few moments. Just as the scientist took her seat next to the emotions, so can you. You can sit on a meditation cushion and a glider. You could lay down on your bed. You could go out to your car, anywhere. The important part here is to find a few minutes of stillness and sit with the emotion. During the stillness, you sense into your body sensations, the emotional energy sensations that you're picking up. Feel the emotion. 
or emotions that are there. Explore where do you feel them? In your chest, your abdomen, around your heart? Is it an ache, a tingle? You don't really have to name it, just feel the ache, feel the tingle, or whatever sensation. It's also important to continue to watch your inclinations or urges after you take that inner snapshot. You might be like the scientist and say, oh no, I'm sitting between anger and sadness and now I have the urge to run off the plane. Or, oh wow, I'm craving chocolate now after noticing how much anger I have. Or you might notice, gosh, I was just mindlessly scrolling Instagram for 10 minutes after noticing some loneliness. Or, ah, I've been lost in a story about how awful my sister-in-law is and how she's always trying to stir the pot after noticing insecure emotions around my parenting. Or you might think, I'm noticing lots of thoughts about things I should change in my life in an attempt to fix this empty feeling of depression. You're noticing not only the emotion and sitting with it, you're also noticing the urge that comes up. Emotions in and of themselves are not a problem. Yes, they can be uncomfortable, and there are many of them we would prefer not to ever have to feel, but they are not putting your life in danger. The angry and the sad women were no threat. They were just triggering discomfort in the scientist. Your emotions aren't a threat in and of themselves. It is possible that they are triggered by a threat, or you react to them with the dangerous behavior, but the emotions themselves are not a threat. Emotions are energy. They are communication. Treat emotions like an old friend. Follow the scientist's lead by smiling at the emotion, lending your ear and offering understanding. This doesn't mean that you have to like this emotion or invite it to stay around longer. Some emotions are like old friends who, though we care about them, we don't really enjoy being around them. We don't have to invite those friends to dinner, but we can understand them. So how do you offer your emotions understanding? Well, you can start by literally smiling a kind smile. You could say hi to it in a kind voice. Hello, anger. Hello, sadness. Hi, loneliness. Ah, how you doing, mom guilt? And then you wait and you sit with that emotion, feeling it, sensing into how the emotion feels in your body with curiosity. Eventually, you'll feel ready to explore the emotion, and it won't feel as big and giant and scary. And you'll explore the emotion with the purpose of understanding, just understanding, not fixing, not suppressing, understanding. So how do you do that? Here is where you use what I call deep self-compassion. This is a technique for understanding your challenging emotions, and it's best written out like a journal from your wise self talking to your emotion. If you are in the village, this is a PDF that you can download. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it right now. There are six components. The first one is to say hi to your emotion. So you say, hi, mom guilt, I see you. Hi, I see you. We name what we are experiencing. By naming it, we are accepting it and acknowledging it. We are not shoving it under the rug, hiding from it, running from it, numbing it. We are also shifting our brain activation from our primitive brains built for survival to our prefrontal cortex, which will help us manage our challenges in ways that are helpful in the long term. Okay, the second step, you say, I see 
you share your observations related to the emotion. So you say, I see, I see anger come up every time you see socks on the floor in the bedroom. Observing like a scientist to help you see the whole picture clearly. I see, and then you observe. The third one is to say, it's understandable that you are here because blank. You fill in the blank. Whatever is going on in your snapshot, it's understandable. By offering understanding that this emotion is here, you're seeing your inner and outer world circumstances that give rise to the emotion. This is the opposite of confusion. When we acknowledge that the feelings are understandable, the energy in our bodies becomes more fluid. Confusion, though, keeps it stuck. The fourth step, you just write this sentence down. I am here with you, and I just want you to know that you are safe and have choice. You just, you write the sentence. I am here with you, and I just want you to know that you are safe and you have choice. Reassurance of safety helps send signals to our nervous system to deactivate the sympathetic or stress response and to activate the parasympathetic or relaxation response. The fifth thing you write is another sentence. You say, I am willing to see and feel all of this with you. This helps turn down the alarm bells around an uncomfortable emotion. It's taking a seat next to it on the airplane. It's not turning away, numbing, judging, or etc. It's a willingness to feel and a trust that you can feel this and it will be okay. This emotion is not dangerous. And the sixth part is to say, and when you're ready, I'll share these words with you and fill in the blank. After you've worked through the previous steps, you have cleared the path for your inner wisdom. This is where your inner wisdom bubbles up and shares with you what you need to know. Try not to have an agenda here. Just let things come to the surface. Sometimes you might not have any inner wisdom come up. That's okay. Just stay with the previous step. Okay, as you send your emotional struggle, these messages, really try to sense into the kindness behind them. All you have to do is offer the emotion your understanding and kindness. Okay, let's make it something a little bit more real. Here's an example of working with the mom guilt that I felt in that beginning of the story of this episode and see how it could be put into this deep self-compassion. Okay, so number one, hi, mom guilt, I see you. Two, I see you love both of your daughters so much. I see how uncomfortable it is to see your oldest one struggle with not being the baby anymore. I see how much you hope the girls will love each other. I see your urges to show your love by buying gifts and doing magical things to celebrate your oldest's birthday. It's understandable that you're here because we go way back. You've always given me motivation to take steps to improve what is within my control. I see why you would show up right now. I'm here with you. I just want you to know that you are safe and you have choice. I'm willing to see and feel all of this with you. And when you're ready, I'll share these words. It's okay if your oldest daughter struggles a bit with not being the baby anymore. She's going to be okay. This struggle is a normal part of big changes. The dust will settle again. What your oldest needs to feel loved is you sitting by her and understanding her struggles. She needs your presence, not presence. She doesn't need your energy to go into all of those whimsical ideas that preoccupy your mind when you're with her. Keep it simple 
Give her your focus in the moment. And, my love, no one needs their parents bursting into their room before the sun comes up with balloons shouting happy birthday to feel loved, especially a three-year-old. And that's where we laugh with our emotion sometimes, like an old friend. Okay, we've talked about sitting with our emotions like the scientists sat down next to the sad and angry women. We've talked about not running off the plane. We've talked about how to offer your challenging emotion understanding through deep self-compassion journaling. And your pearl or practice that you could put into real life is this deep self-compassion journaling. If you'd like to pair a meditation with the theme of the week, you can look for the one called This Moment. And if you need that meditation feed, it's linked below. And there is a printable if you're part of the village um, for this week. It's this deep self-compassion journal. And of course, you will find the extended show notes. In closing, I hope your big takeaway today from this episode is to not burst into your three-year-old's room before she wakes up holding a bunch of balloons and shouting happy birthday. (laughs) No, actually, I hope you feel like you have a way to offer your big emotions understanding. Next week, we will talk about what to do next. After you've taken a snapshot and offered your emotions understanding, we will talk about the next part of the story that helps us navigate using mindfulness as a remedy for some of the biggest struggles in mom life. I really hope to see you in the village this week. Thank you for your time and practice. May this information benefit you, your loved ones, and moms all over the world.